Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have reached the point where we are almost done with our study of Isaiah. Isaiah has 66 chapters, and today we are in Isaiah chapter 65. So, unfortunately, there are 25 verses in Isaiah 65. So if I were to take the time just to simply read this book to us, this chapter to us, it would take upwards of 12 to 15 minutes, which we just don't have that kind of time this morning. So I unfortunately can't read to you each of these verses. You're just going to have to trust that I've read them, and you're going to have to read for yourself when you get home. But I want to share with you some of the insights that God gave me as I looked this over and as I prepared my heart for this morning. The very first verse I want to highlight is Isaiah 65, verse 1. God is speaking here. Uh, Scholars that I was reading told me that Isaiah 63 and 64 was actually a prayer. And 65 and 66 is God responding to the prayer. Okay? So when it says, I, God is speaking to the people of God. He says, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am. Here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. Now think about that. At this time when this book was written, it was the people of God were the the Israelites, the Jewish people, the Judahites, if you remember. A number of months ago we talked about because the split between the ten tribes and the last two tribes, they, they were from Judah. They became known as the Judahites, and that's how we got them known as Jewish. Okay? So the people of God who were from Judah, who were still faithful to the one true God, God is not talking about them in, these, in this first verse. God is saying, I was ready to be sought by anyone who wanted to seek me. And I was literally saying to them, here I am, here I am. See, this is one of the verses where we can look at our theology that says that we believe that no human being can come to God unless God woos them or draws them. It's called prevenient grace. Theologically, that's what the, that's what the theological term is. Prevenient grace. It's God drawing God wooing. No one can come to the Father except that the Father draws them. That's almost a word-for-word quote out of the New Testament. And God in Isaiah is saying that exact thing here. Anyone who wants to turn to me, I'm already here drawing. I'm already wooing them. I'm already calling them. He says, I spread out my hands all day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, who follow their own devices. And then he goes on to describe what they're doing. Look at verse 8. The very first thing I want you to know is that God reaches out to people who are not looking for him. Okay, remember that. God reaches out to people who are not looking for him. And he's ready to receive them at any moment that they're willing to turn. Verse 8. Thus says the Lord. Again, this is God speaking. As the new wine is found in the cluster and they say, do not destroy it, for there is blessing in it. So I will do for my servants sake and not destroy them all. What in the world is this talking about? Think about. From the husbandry point of view, the the agricultural point of view. Say you have a a grapevine 
that has some damage or some disease or something that's just not 100% right and it's not producing well. From the farming perspective, you would break that off and get rid of it because it's a sucker, if you will. It's taking life from the healthiest part of the plant. And you want to make sure that the fruit comes from the greatest part of the plant. Those of you who grow vegetables, do you let every single blossom bloom to a tomato or to a cucumber or to a whatever? No, you selectively pull out those so that they don't draw life away from the ones you're going to try and bring to full fruit. Okay? What God is saying here is, I'm not going to do that. If there is the least little chance that there is life there, I'm going to let it stay. I'm not going to destroy and pull away and say, I'm done with this. Even to the left. Remember the story in the New Testament about the wheat and the tares? The farmer sows the seed in the field and he goes to bed and after the ground, after the, after the, 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 the seed sprouts, they realize that they've got some bad seed in there, some weeds in among their wheat. And the workers come to the owner of the field and say, we, we sowed good seed, I don't know what happened. And the owner of the field says, an enemy has done this. And they say, well, what do you want us to do? You want us to go pull up the bad stuff? No, just let it grow with the good stuff. Because if you pull up the bad stuff, you might pull up some of the good stuff. Just let it grow. At the time of the harvest, we'll separate the bad from the good. So just let it go. And that's what God is saying here in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 8. If there is the least little bit of chance that there's going to be some life coming from that cluster, I'm going to let it grow. And I'll get what I can out of it. Now think about that in relation to people that you know. People who do not know God, who aren't looking for God, who couldn't care less about God. I literally saw a woman yesterday at the fair. I'm sitting in our church's booth, right? Now, for those of you who have been to the fair, you know that our booth sits at a really strategic spot. We've got a great location for our booth at the fair. And I could look all the way down to the end where the right to life people were. And I saw a woman and her husband coming down past the right to life booth and they got to the Bible, the, the, the Bible Baptist booth and the Bible Baptist booth people have little flyers that say, let me give you a smile today. And that's what it says on their little thing. And they say, can I give you a smile? And they hand you a piece of paper and you go, okay, thank you. Well, this lady took one of their smiles and they continued walking and she opened it up and she went, And she handed it to the man that was with her, I'm assuming was her husband, and she went, literally did this, she went, ah, ah, and just kept walking. And didn't I not make comment about it? We prayed for that woman because I said, there is darkness walking by right now. That was dark, dark rejection of the word of God. There was enough enemy in that woman's soul, enough darkness, that she was not allowing the light to even touch her. She was wiping whatever righteousness came in contact with her off. And that's what God is saying. There is, there are people out there that I'm reaching towards. I'm wooing. I'm drawing to, even if they're not listening. Even if they don't want the truth. If there's the least little chance that they can come to life, I will allow them to continue to be on this earth. Because you think about it. Why in the world would God let them stay on the earth? If they're that vile and that nasty, why don't they just kill them now? Well, apparently God sees potential. 
It may not ever come to full fruit. It may not even come to partial fruit. It may be that God ultimately is rejected by that person. But God is not going to pluck the fruit prematurely in the hopes that they will turn and come to full fruit. Now, I do not have time this morning because of, just because at 25 verses, it's ridiculous. But you need to read through this next section. Because it says, well, let's look at verse 13 and, and through, through 13 through 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, my servants shall eat, but you shall go hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be put to shame. Behold, my servants shall sing for gladness of heart, but you shall cry out for pain of heart and shall wail for breaking of spirit. You shall leave your name to be to my chosen for a curse and the Lord God will put you to death. But his servants he will call by another name so that he who blesses him in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth. And he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth because the former troubles are forgotten and are hidden from my eyes. And what God is saying here is this. Just because I'm allowing them to continue on this earth does not mean that I've changed my ways. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I will repay for what they do if they do not turn to me, there will be a penalty to be paid. And that has not changed. I have not negated that. Those who serve me will be blessed. Those who reject me will go into curse and death. And as Jesus said, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it is not a pleasant thing for us as human beings to think, well, God's going to condemn someone to hell. I didn't make it up. I read it. It's what God says in his word. There will be an eternal damnation. It is not something I choose. It is not something that God necessarily chooses. It is something that the person chooses through their rejection of their only hope. You heard what I read to the kids this morning out of Acts chapter 4. There is no other name given among human beings by which we might be or must be saved. And that is the name of Jesus and Jesus alone. So if you have been presented with the truth of the gospel and you reject the truth of the gospel, there, there remains no hope for you. And the ultimate end will be eternal damnation, eternal separation from the, from the only one who, who offered you life and hope, God. Those are not my words. That is not my theology that I made up. It is a theology that I own. And it's uncomfortable. See, we want to talk about the love and the peace and the joy and, the, and how good God is and how blessing. And it's true. He does. He blesses us. But he blesses his children. And he cares for his sheep. He has absolutely, if you look in Proverbs, you can look at Proverbs chapter 15. He does not have any responsibility to even hear the prayers of the unrighteous. The only prayer that he's going to hear from the unrighteous is, I'm sorry. That's the only one that he's promised to hear. Everything else, he does not promise to hear their prayers. That doesn't mean that he doesn't allow things that are good to happen to them. It doesn't mean that he doesn't care for them. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love them. It says right here in 65 verse 1, I am wooing them, I am drawing them, because I want them in right relationship. However, there is a line that is drawn in the sand, and I will not cross it. They must come to me. I'm not going to sully myself or go into their darkness and dirt. 
They must turn and repent from their sins. But once they do, blessings and honor and glory. I'm going to pour out blessings and love and compassion on them. And they will have the peace of Christ. And they will have me to guide them. And they will have everything that I have available. I am Jehovah Jireh. I will do for them everything that they need. And then finally, in these last eight, nine verses of this, or actually 11 verses of, these, of this chapter, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. And then it goes on and talking about how the lion will lay down with the lamb and how, how the people are going to be blessed and how they're going to have houses and vineyards and it's just going to be blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And the thing I absolutely love is the one that's up on the screen. Verse 24. Before they even call, I'm going to answer them. While they are yet speaking... I will hear. I love this is the New Living Translation up on the screen. I will answer them before they even call to me. While they are still talking to me about their needs, I've already gone ahead and answered their prayers. If you look in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus during his Sermon on the Mount said, Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Well, what were these things he was talking about? If you read just a few verses before, he's talking about how the birds of the air don't have to worry about where they're going to get their food from, and the, the beautiful flowers and the plants don't have to worry about how they're going to get dressed, because God provides everything for them. And in the same way that God provides for his animals, and in the same way he provides for all of the plants of creation, God will provide for his children. All we need to worry about is the seeking the kingdom of God and seeing the advancement of the kingdom of God and seeking the righteousness of God. Everything that we need will be provided to us. That's a promise right out of God's word. And God's promises is that the day is coming when everything is going to be made new. You will no longer have to live with the curse. There will be no more dying there. We're going to go see the king. No more crying there. We're going to go see the king. That's the hope that we have. That's the peace that we have in our hearts right now. Even when everything's bad. Look around you right now, folks. Things are horrible right now. I almost, I almost changed this a little bit to talk about what happened in Charlottesville. But I, I just didn't feel like that was something that I needed to talk about this morning. But that's an evidence. What happened in Charlottesville is an evidence of what's going on in our world. But in Two Rivers right now, we have a crisis that's, gone, that's happened in the last few days. And that a great number of us are going to be focused on in about an hour and a half. And that's this. We have a family and a community that have been traumatized by a horrible event. And I would, I would, I would say to you that there are people who are going to be sitting in that barn who do not know Jesus as their Savior. And I would submit to you that as fellow believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, people who are already being blessed by God, you have a responsibility to sit there and watch for any and every opportunity to speak truth to them. Now, I am not talking about pulling out your Bible and bashing them over the head with it. That is not what I'm talking about. But what I am saying is, you have the opportunity to speak life to these people. And there is one other thing that I'm going to caution you, and I'll slap you upside the head if you say this. And I don't mean if you repeat this. I mean if you say this to any person there. Well, I sure hope Cooper was saved. 
That is not the question to ask. That is not the statement to bring up. If you really felt that way, you should have been on his doorstep asking him if he was saved. That is totally selfish and inappropriate, and it causes nothing but harm. You do not discuss somebody's eternal destiny once they're already dead. That's between them and God, especially if you don't know. But what you do do is you come alongside the family and you say, I love you in Jesus' name. And if there's anything I can do for you in Jesus' name, I will do it. And if they look at you and say, is there really an eternity? You say, most definitely there's an eternity. And if you ever have the need, I will sit down and talk with you and share with you why I believe what I believe. This may not be that moment, but know that I will come whenever you need me to. And I'll be glad to share with you the truth for the hope that's in me. But our responsibility to this community, because I guarantee you there are people there right now that are setting up chairs that are in so much pain they don't even know what to do with themselves. And they don't have the hope of Christ. They don't have the hope of eternity. And they're just roiling in their pain right now. And you need to love on them. And you need to know what you believe. And be looking for every opportunity to speak that truth to them. But do so with gentleness and humbleness and kindness, and love. We have a hope. It is steadfast and sure. We have the word of God himself saying, anyone who wants to come to me, I am already drawing them. I hear their prayers, and I'm ready to answer them the moment they ask. And I promise blessing upon blessing upon blessing to anyone who turns to me. But they must turn. I am not going to force them. They must come to me. Once they do, I will receive them with open arms. And I will love on them. And I will pour on them things that they never even dreamed were possible. And as you walk in that, and I'm not just talking about this afternoon. As you walk in that, in your jobs, and in your schools, and in your neighborhoods, and as you're having a cup of coffee with somebody, just Be continually watching for those opportunities. You do not have to be called to be an evangelist to be able to speak truth to people. You do not have to be scared to death to speak truth to people. One of the things that I was counseled on just this week, because I was talking with uh, the district superintendent about something, and I asked him some advice about something, and he said, you know what, if you simply tell your story, if you say how... How this has affected you. No one can argue with that. If you say, as I read the Bible, this is what God showed me. As I read the Bible, this is what I experienced. As I have entered into relationship with God, these are the blessings that have come upon me. Nobody can argue that. They can say, well, that doesn't work for me. Well, that's fine. You don't have to convince them. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But you have to be ready at any given point to give an answer for the hope that lies within you, doing so with gentleness. But see, so often the enemy twists us and gets us all roiled up, thinking, I can't say anything. I'm not an evangelist. I don't know what to say. I'll mess it up. Just speak the truth. Somebody spoke it to you or you wouldn't be here. Let's pray. Let's pray.